0: Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Last Sunday, uh, we used the story of the prodigal son to get at the ideas in Romans chapter 6. I hope you remember the story of the prodigal son the way we told it, uh, because I stole that from a really good preacher, and I thought that was pretty nice. Uh, This week, we will use a different track to get at the same idea. Uh, for all of you who are husbands, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, If you are a husband, raise your hand and keep your hand in the air if you have ever said anything stupid to your wife. <laughs> okay, uh, only two of you are being dishonest and the rest of you even raise your hands a little higher. Okay, that's good. You can put them down now. Uh, I remember once I came home from work. This was not long after Sam was born. And I I came in the door and I noticed that there was no dinner, okay? And I also noticed, just wait, okay? I also noticed that the laundry had not been done, so there's no dinner, no laundry. I come home, Rachel's been at home all day with Luke and Sam, and what I said didn't come out the way I, I meant it, or she didn't hear what I was trying to say. Uh, I said something along the lines of, Well, honey, what did you do all day? She took that the wrong way. Okay, guys, so what do we do when we say something stupid? Okay, you apologize. Or maybe you volunteer to do something you wouldn't normally do. I know one of the things that I like to do at my house when I get in trouble, say, honey, why don't you take it easy? I'll clean up the kitchen, right? It's a way of trying to do a little penance to try and get out of trouble. Uh, If you really mess up, a good option, gentlemen, is to bring home flowers the next day, right? You bring home flowers and you have an apology and you say, Honey, I'm so sorry that I said what I said or did what I did. Please, you know, take me back and let me sleep in the bed tonight, right? Uh, we, We have ways of trying to get out of trouble with our spouses. We have ways of apologizing and getting back into her good graces. But I want you to imagine for just a minute that Rachel heard me on the phone with someone, and I said the following I said, No, man, I talk to my wife however I want to because all I have to do is get her flowers the next day and then it's all good. If she heard me say that, and then I came home the next day with flowers, how well do you think she'd respond? Why? I brought her flowers. Okay, because is flowers what she really wants? Is she really interested in a bouquet of flowers to put on the table? Or is she really interested in a husband who respects her and loves her and wants to be in a right relationship with her? Okay, she wants me to have the kind of relationship with her where I seek to live for her and I don't presume upon her grace. All right, you cannot have a real relationship with someone if you think you can act like a jerk and think, well, but it doesn't really matter because she'll forgive me anyways. Okay, In this particular section of Romans, Paul is doing two things. Okay, in the first place, he's telling us we should not presume upon God's grace. We can't say, well, it doesn't matter how I live. I'll go do whatever I want. I can live in whatever pagan way I want to because I know that God is full of grace and love and he'll forgive me anyways. Okay, We cannot presume upon God's grace. In the second place, Paul's beginning to tell us how we can live a different way. How we as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, can live holy lives to God he continues that second part of Romans 6. Notice starting in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, That though we used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, you notice the main overriding image he uses through this section. It's about slavery. He's saying, you used to be slaves to sin, now you can be slaves to righteousness. And this is not a pleasant image, right? We don't like to think of ourselves as slaves. It's an ugly image. It's supposed to be an ugly image. Okay, and the underlying assumption behind his argument is that you and I search for independence. Okay, most of the time we search for independence. You know, so many of our foundational our bedrock stories are about finding independence. When you think about the founding story of Israel, We were slaves in Egypt. We had the brutal taskmaster Pharaoh. We were building bricks for someone else's empire. We were killed. We were abused. We were slaves. But our God came in and with a mighty hand, he redeemed us from slavery. It's the story of redemption. We exchanged it for a life in the promised land. We left behind our brutal master Pharaoh and his entire army was drowned in the sea. We gained independence. Okay, we were talking about that in class this morning. That story would probably make a really good movie. Okay, the story of America is how we gained independence. We threw off British control, their oppressive taxation without representation because we could control our own destiny. We could be free. We didn't need a tyrant from across the sea telling us how to live our lives. Now we have our Independence Day. Okay, we celebrate it with barbecue and blowing stuff up, right? Independence. Okay, I remember growing up, I celebrated every step of independence I achieved. I was very upset when I turned 16 that I had to wait three days to go to the DMV and get my driver's license. I had three entire days of being sixteen where I didn't have a driver's license. Can you imagine the shame? It was terrible. And very quickly after I got my driver's license, I learned that my older sister was always going to be taking my mother's car places Okay, because that was the automatic. My dad had a manual transmission. So very quickly, I resolved I was going to learn how to drive a stick because I needed to be able to get that car out of the driveway and have my independence. Places I needed to go. You know, I remember hitting 18 and I had the ability to check myself out of school. I don't think I ever actually used that, but I insisted that my parents go down and give me permission to check myself out of school because I wanted that option of independence. I see now as an adult, my kids are on the same quest. Everything my kids say now, I want to do it myself. If Luke comes to church sometime and his mouth is covered in toothpaste, his shoes are on the wrong feet, I guarantee you the reason is because he had to do it himself. He had to be independent. Okay, this story may be TMI, uh, but I'll tell it anyway because I have no shame. Uh, I took Sam to the potty the other day, okay, and I sit him down, and he looks up at me and he goes, Dad, can you go away? Okay, fine. So I step back out, and then I hear, Dad, can you shut the door? Okay, fine. Okay. Why? Why does he want me to do that? Because he wants to do it himself. He wants to be independent. But Scripture teaches we will be slaves to something. We will be slaves to something. I'll go on to the next slide. Notice verse 16. He says, "Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you were slaves to the one you obey?" whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness he says you will be a slave either to sin or obedience your choice is not to be free your choice is really which master are you going to serve you know we like to think that we're on this quest for independence we like to think we're smart enough we're good enough to be our own masters and yet scripture teaches us it is the wrong quest Okay, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they said, we left behind this God-man Pharaoh and he was oppressive and now we get to be free. And the very first thing they did on their journey to the promised land, they stop at Mount Sinai and God says to them, he says, I redeemed you from slavery so that you can serve me. Okay, the story of Exodus is not that we gained independence. The story of Exodus is we changed from master Pharaoh to master God and life is so much better under master God. Israel was always slave to something. They either followed an idol, they followed a pagan nation, or they followed a Lord. And the thing about Scripture is it teaches they were only successful when what they followed was God. Okay, you and I are exactly the same way. We will be slaves to something. You know, I had a buddy in high school, uh, and when he turned 16, he got a brand new green Mustang, okay? His parents obviously loved him more than mine loved me. And he babied that car. Whenever he would go to a parking lot, he would not park it up close to the entrance to the store we were going in. He had to park it at one of the furthest slots away from the entrance to make sure that nobody would park anywhere near his car so that nobody would accidentally scratch his car. He washed that car regularly. When we were in class, he would be worried about what was happening to his car in the parking lot. Okay, I didn't have that experience. Okay, not too terribly long after I turned 16, my parents bought us a beater. Okay, it was a Honda Civic, and I had to share it with my sister. I know I've told you of this struggle before, okay, but the struggle was real on this. Right? I had to share a Honda with my older sister, and she drove it more than I did. Okay, and the thing wasn't even painted all the same color. Okay, it was a piece of junk. Okay, I didn't worry about where I parked my car. Okay, my car got washed when the good Lord decided to rain on it. Right? Yeah, but I compared myself to my friend and I realized the big difference between my friend and I was that I had a car. His car had him. When we habitually offer ourselves to someone or something, we become slaves to it. We serve it. Too often in our lives, we have numerous masters. You might serve your stuff. You might serve your health. You might serve your work. You might serve a sports team. You might serve a hobby, but you will serve something. Jesus says where your treasure is, what? there your heart will be also. Okay, if you really want to find out what you're a slave to, uh, then do the following exercise. Don't do it right now because I don't trust you to do good things with your phones during church. I think you do other things than listen to me, but maybe I'm just paranoid. Okay, but if you really want to find out what you're a slave to, take out your phone and open two different apps. Okay, open your calendar and see where you're spending your time and open your bank app and see where you're spending your money. You want to find out what you're really serving in life. You want to find out what really matters to you. You want to find out where your priorities actually are. Look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Because those two things don't lie. We tell ourselves all the time, well, I do all this other stuff, but I'm really serving Jesus. Really, where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? Those are your real priorities. So what do we do? Okay, how do we quit serving the wrong things? How do we quit having the wrong masters? Yeah, I read an interesting article this week. Uh, The National Center for Responsible Gaming has done some research, and they figure that approximately 1% of Americans are pathologically addicted to gambling. Okay? 1%. That's actually up. It used to be half a percent a few years ago, and now we're up to 1% of our population is addicted to gambling. Okay, so a few years ago, uh, there was a drug manufacturer in San Diego by the name of Samaxin Pharmaceuticals, and they were very excited because they thought they had found a drug that would cure gambling addiction. Okay, they poured millions of dollars into this drug, they got it into, into testing on humans finally, FDA approval to start doing this big test, and they were so excited this was going to be huge for them. This was going to make untold millions of dollars if you could cure gambling addiction with a pill. Okay, and when they got it to human trials, they figured out that it did cause nausea, dizziness, and vomiting, okay, but it did absolutely nothing to help gambling. Turns out there is no drug to fix a gambling problem. Okay, it turns out you can't get independence just by taking a pill. Okay, but that's what we want, right? We want independence to be easy. We think it's just a matter of our own willpower. If I just try hard enough, then I can get free from these other masters. Or if I just really pour myself into this and try and have enough willpower, then I can get over these false masters that dominate my life, and yet it's never that simple. Okay, notice how this passage of Romans chapter 6 ends. Verse 22, he says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you really want to be free from the wrong master, if you really want to gain independence over that life of sin, then the only solution is to make Jesus our Lord. We must become slaves to Jesus. The only way to be free from any other master is we must be slaves to Jesus. I remember once when I was a kid, we had a, a theme park in Oklahoma City that was kind of like flags but it was a little bit smaller because it's in oklahoma city okay so it's oklahoma city's version of six flags and my buddies and i went to this park okay, and the ride that we thought was the coolest ride there was this this ride it's basically like a big oversized barrel okay, and you could put about 15 people inside of it and then it would spin Okay, and the force, the centrifugal force would push you up against the side of the thing and it would get spinning fast enough that you would be pinned to the wall. And then once everyone was good and pinned to the wall, the floor would drop away. And it was just really cool seeing how you're just stuck to the side of this big spinning barrel. Okay, Well, my buddies and I were there and it wasn't a very busy day. And so there wasn't a line in front of this ride. So we could just ride it over and over again as many times as we wanted to. Okay, Which is a great idea when you're about 12, right? Okay, and the first time, it was great. Second time, it was still a lot of fun. By about the fifth or sixth time, I wasn't having fun anymore. Okay? And after about the seventh time of riding this thing in a row back-to-back, back, I walked over a few feet and lost my lunch for the last few days. Okay? All right, I know that's kind of a silly story. But I think that's often how we live our lives. We make a choice to pursue something that looks like a lot of fun. It looks like it's going to be great. And it starts out and it seems like a really good thing. And yet the longer we walk down that path, the more we realize that we're not having fun anymore. And the only possible ending to the story is ugly. I was talking to a young man just the other day who's on a wrong path in his life. He's getting involved in a certain set of sins. He knows he's on the wrong path. He knows he shouldn't be involved in the things that he's doing. And yet he looked at me and he said, David, I just don't know how to quit doing what I'm doing. I don't know how to get off this path. The only way you can ever get off the path of slavery to sin is by becoming a slave to Jesus. Okay, so here's the question. Are you really willing to look at your calendar and your bank account and ask if Jesus is really Lord? Are you truly committed to the church, to the bride of Christ? Are we really committed to spending time daily in Bible study and prayer, making Jesus our Lord? You know, I read an article just the other day about how the reason that most people will now avoid committing long-term to a local church is because they don't want anyone holding them accountable to anything. We want to keep our options open. We don't want to ever be tied down anywhere. We want to maintain as much of our own independence as possible. And one of the ways this is hurting churches is that people won't commit. Okay? We don't want to give up our independence. Okay? Are you committed to working in the kingdom of God? Right? If you've never shared the gospel with anyone, then do you really believe that it's the best news ever told? If you aren't engaged in a ministry, then do you really believe that serving is important? Are we really slaves to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, A few years ago, uh, Warren Buffett announced that he was going to donate 85% of his wealth to five different charitable foundations. Okay, and his wealth at the time was $44 billion. Okay, I don't care who you are, that's a lot of money. And they interviewed him about this and said, This is the largest charitable donation ever made by an individual, ever in the history of the world. Tell us about that. Okay, and he had this line He said, There is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Okay, I hate to correct a man who's obviously been incredibly successful in life, but he's dead wrong. There is only one way to get to heaven, and it's not by donating all your money to charity. It's by discipling yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Are we slaves of Jesus Christ? All right, at this time in our service, in just a moment, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, I will be down front, one of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, And before we do that, I'd like to close with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.